Hey everyone, it's good to see you. Uh, let's give a shout out to our friends at all the campuses because we meet in different locations. Can we just do that? And then we do it, we just do it like this. We just say welcome everyone at Bel Air and Edgewood and Abingdon. Mountain Road, soon to be Aberdeen. It's kind of fun to think about that as well. We're in a series we're calling Take the Dare. Take the Dare. And we're doing some silly stuff. If you're following on social media, there's some fun stuff there. You can keep posting that and circulating it around. Uh, maybe do some crazy stuff. You never know. People have been known even to, to you know, grow a mustache and wear a jean jacket on a dare. And, you know, it, it's all good. But we're going to talk about some more serious stuff. Uh, as well. Um, now, do you know why I have accepted most of the dares in my life? As I think back to some of the dares, some of the silly ones, some of the fun ones, some of the important ones, very often it's because someone looked me in the eye and challenged me with it. You know, that, that's what it is. Sometimes you think of it on your own, but very often someone says, oh, come on. I dare you. Or they say, I'll do it with you. I'm a sucker for that. I just got to admit it. Now, one of the guys that has dared me into things over the years, so many things, so many things, is Tom Moen. I don't know if you know Tom. A lot of you know Tom. He's one of the pastors here. He directs our, our global and our, 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 our um, local mission stuff. What you may not know about Tom is that Tom and I are lifelong friends. Um, I grew up with Tom in Minnesota. Um, and he's had a huge impact on my life. He and his wife, Amy, and their, fr- their family are some of our closest friends. Uh, you, know, you probably think about Tom as this nice, tame, kind pastor guy. But I'm here to tell you, Tom is an instigator. Tom is trouble. From about the third grade on, he's had this ability to, over- to bypass my common sense and my better judgment. And has dragged me into all kinds of things I never would have done. I was a good kid. I wanted to be a good kid, except it was Tom. It was always Tom. He would say, come on, it'll be fun. Let's just go do it. You'll see. I dare you. We'll do it together. And the next thing you know, I have the life I have lived because of Tom Moen. Let's just throw those tomatoes at the car. It sounded like a bad idea, but he said, so we did. I dare you to talk to that girl. There's a whole story with that one. I got so many stories. On a public bus, Tom is the kind of guy who would be dared into anything. On a public bus, he'd act like he just saw me. And then he would yell across the bus like, hey, Ben, good to see you. Surprised you're out of prison so soon. <laughs> yeah, with all those tr- charges of armed robbery and murder, I thought it would take forever. Hey, how's that infectious disease coming along? Tom, just, he, would, he would do anything. He would say anything, do anything. He'd go to a, he'd go to a, um, uh, a grocery store and someone would dare him and he'd do it. He'd, he'd trip and fall and throw his groceries, apples flying all over just to see how many people he could get to help him clean it all up. That was Tom when he was younger. As we got older, the knucklehead dared me into all kinds of other kinds of adventures as well. We bicycled all the way across Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Carolina. Why? Because Tom said, let's do it together, I dare you. And we have skied down some double black diamonds to see how fast we could go. He thought it would be a good idea to go to Minnesota and get lost in the woods with only a canoe paddle. And we've climbed Kilimanjaro together and crawled around in dark caves together. And we've actually traveled all over the world together on mission trips. And by the way, Tom and I and a few dozen 
mountain people are going back to Africa this summer, and maybe you should come with us. There's still time and opportunity for you to sign up for that. We're going to take a huge group from Mountain. I dare you to go with us. You won't regret it. It's one time you won't regret being dared by Tom. So did you know the thing about Tom that I appreciate is that he doesn't just do stupid stuff. That's the way he lives his whole life. And that's the way he lives his life of faith. Now, here's something for you. Did you know that's a lot like the way that God calls you to live your life of faith? It really is. Jesus did not call you to live a tame, boring, safe, predictable life. He did not. It's not what he had in mind when Jesus says, follow me, I dare you. Following Jesus is, is got high stakes. Sometimes it feels high risk. But he calls us to daring faith. He calls you to radical trust. He calls you to be all in and not hold back. I wonder if you're ready for some daring faith. Because that's the kind of faith the church needs. That's the kind of faith your family needs. That's the kind of faith you're looking for. We're all hungry for if we would just step out. You know, one of the, I think a lot of us admire people who do courageous things. We see people that do things that maybe others don't do or say things that maybe others don't say or go to places many are afraid to go. And a part of us kind of admires them. And I think part of the reason that we admire them is because their actions speak a little bit to how we feel and how we wish we could sometimes act. And we see courage and it's contagious to us, isn't it? It makes us want to, even a, a video on your phone can make you want to go conquer the world because you saw someone else that you admire. And I, I just, I think Jesus would want you to know that instead of admiring other people for doing daring things and taking a risk, that it's your time now to finally trust God and do something daring yourself. And I bet some of you sense that you're being led by God to do something daring, but you've been hesitant or pulling back, and now maybe you're ready to take that daring step, and you won't have to admire someone else only for what they did, but you'll feel the satisfaction that only comes when you hop the fence yourself. And the beauty is that when you trust God and do daring things with Him, there's sort of there's sort of a guarantee. He says, we'll do it together. Faith in Jesus always leads us to, to dare some things. And so we're challenging every single one of us. The last few weeks, and if you haven't been listening to those messages, go back and catch them because it could transform your life. And, and this weekend, we're, we're going to revisit these, uh, this idea that, that, that the faith comes down to those four letters, D-A-R-E in a way. D stands for do something that really matters because it's not enough to talk about our faith. We've got to get in the game and do something, and, and you can do so much. And A stands for ask God. Ask God what to give because you really show that you trust God when you place your life and your finances in His hands. And so every one of us, no matter where we are in life or our finances, is going to be asked to ask God, what should I give? in 2020 and we're going to do these things together and reach out to someone when God is really real to you 
then that means that he's taken up some residence inside of you to the degree where you actually notice and care about people in a way you wouldn't otherwise, and you're willing to reach out, maybe have a spiritual conversation with someone who doesn't know God. And E stands for encounter God in a fresh way. Like, how risky is that to sort of get close to the living God, but have him tell you, I need you to change course and walk toward God or walk with God. We're daring each other to get in Scripture four times a week. How many of you are in on that? And then to walk with others. And some of you are daring yourself to sign up for Rooted or another small group so you can walk with some others who are walking with God. Today we want to spend a little time talking about that idea of reaching out to someone who doesn't know Jesus or who is not walking with God themselves. Because this is a dare that's pretty scary for a lot of us, but it doesn't need to be when we do it together with some of the guarantees God gives us. It was late on a hot um, summer night in Minnesota in high school. Tom says, hey, I got an idea. Let's go swimming. I'm like, I'm down. That sounds great. Where are we, we going to go? He says, well, he names this pool. He says, this pool over in northwest uh, Rochester. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty late. Aren't they closed? He's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so we get over there, and of course it's closed. What are we going to do now? Why? Well, before I had my question out of my mouth, Tom hops the fence and jumps in the pool, and he's like whisper yelling, Come on in, the water's fine. I hope you have a moment like that right now, where there's a party that wants to do something, but maybe you're, you're checking up and you're just considering the fences. You know what I did. I hopped the fence and I got in the pool. I hope you do the same thing. Because a lot of us have these fences in front of us. Where, uh, uh, when it comes to the idea of, in our culture, in our time, and in our day, reaching out to someone, sharing our faith, or talking about God's stuff, we get tender. We get unsure. We don't want to be that guy or that girl. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be thought dumb. We don't... We don't want to be combative. We don't want to be obnoxious. We aren't sure what to do. And so, you know what happens most of the time? Most of us do nothing. God is like your Tom today. He's already jumped the fence. He's gone first in mission. And he's promising we'll do this together. And come on in the waters, fine. What are you afraid of? God's heart is revealed in Scripture so much. And you know it's for people who are far from him. He'll do anything. He'll go to great lengths. He, Jesus himself left the comforts of heaven and he, he hopped the fence and he came to earth for us. They were trying to figure out why Jesus kept hanging around with people who were messed up. Jesus says, let me tell you what God's like. And then he said, it's like a shepherd who's got a hundred sheep. And, and, and one of the sheep gets out of the pen. And you know what this crazy shepherd does? Instead of just saying, well, I got 99 safe ones, he's out in the dark, looking in the night, panicked and nervous until he finds the one. Luke 15, verse 5 and 6. And Jesus says, and when that shepherd finds it, he joyfully carries it home and his shoulders. And when he arrives, he says, let's have a party. He calls his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. 
In verse 7, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's a picture of the heart of God, and it's a picture of the mission of Jesus, isn't it? It's exactly why he came. In fact, Jesus nails it exactly when he says in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man, that's himself, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why I came. I hopped the fence for that reason. That's why I did it. And then he says, and guess what that means? As Jesus concluded his earthly ministry, John 20, 21 reminds us, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you my peace, but it's not just so you can have peace. I want you to share it because as the Father has sent me, so I am sending whom? You. Who's you? It's you. It's me. Which is why Jesus, one of the last things he said when he was on the planet, after his resurrection, he kind of, he said, I came, I lived, I, I taught, I, I suffered, I died, I rose, now it's on you. Matthew 28, therefore, now you go. I came, now you go. And make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them. To obey everything, and I will be with you. We'll do it together, he said. I can imagine Jesus getting back up to heaven after, after his earthly ministry, and the angels are like, welcome home, Jesus. We missed you so much. It looked like things went pretty well. Did you finish the mission? Well, not exactly. What do you mean, not exactly? What are you back for? Well, you know, I left it in good hands. With who? The humans. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, I did. That's your plan. Seriously. You left it in the hands of the, of the followers of you? What's your plan B? And Jesus said, there is no plan B. You're plan A. And there is no plan B, y'all. And that's why this church has to take so seriously the mission that God has given us. That's why we're here. We want to be like that early church that exploded with the, like, like the Australian bushfire Um, raging, almost out of control kind of expansive growth that they saw for decade after decade. We want to be that kind of church. Mission around here shapes everything we do. Our eyes are open on the ones not who are already here, but on the ones who are not here. We're not primarily interested in sort of salving the, the sort of souls of the already convinced. That's not why Jesus came. It's not why he's here. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. That's that the mission of Jesus is clear. If you've got a relationship with me, he says, that peace I give you is not just for you. Don't hog it, hoard it, or hide it. Share it. People outside the church, far from God, with messed up lives and sinful behaviors, aren't the enemy. They're not people we avoid or try to fix or bash on social media. Jesus loved all and ate with sinners. And built relationships and went to parties with people that religious people didn't like. And that's the kind of church we are. And what's killing the church in America today is that too many Christians think the church is for them. They think it's designed for them. The programs are about them to keep them happy and well-fed and growing. As if having a bunch of consumer products aimed at you helps you do it. It's spiritual narcissism. And it's, it's from the pit of hell because it forces us to get our mind off of what Jesus called us into in the first place, which is to seek and to save the lost. It's why we're here. It's why we're sent. It's your job. Hop the fence. Amen. 
That's why it's a win when we say around here, we had 540 baptisms last year, y'all. That's awesome. Bigger win is that 78% of our growth is what we call conversion growth. Seven out of 10 people are coming and say, I didn't know Jesus before I came here. That's what we're after. We're not here to find Christians from some other church and swell up the doors. You know, no, that's not why we're here. It's why we care about kids. It's why we care about students. It's why we care about addiction ministry. It's why we care about being creative or excellent or doing everything we can with good processes here. It's why we're launching the Aberdeen campus and the epicenter with it because there's 28,000 people in a couple miles of that uh, part of the, the city that doesn't have any relationship with Jesus. It's simple, y'all. It's simple. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're going. There was a guy who was going through a rough time, and his buddy invited him to Christmas Eve services two years ago. He didn't come. He ignored it. Here's why. He was like so many people that you and I know in our friend list right now. He's like, don't have time for God. Don't have time for that church stuff. What's the relevance? It didn't seem to connect with real life. So he didn't come. But you know what? About nine months later, he was going through a rough time. And he remembered that name, Mountain. And he just showed up here, sat in the back, and he cried. Cried through the songs that talked about hope and healing. Cried through the communion because someone said something about really being close to God and feeling forgiven. He cried through the message because it felt like it was written just for him, like God was just talking right to him. And after the service, he felt led to go to one of our new here stations, and they just listened and shared with him. And he got mugged. You know, they gave him a mug. But he got mugged in another way because they just surrounded him and they prayed with him as much as he wanted them to and introduced him to some others and invited him back. And they, he came back and he cried again. He hates crying. He never cries. He said that to me after this. I hate this. So why do you keep coming? I don't know. He says, I think I'm supposed to be here. And the more I listened, the more I understood that here was an outwardly successfully successful but inwardly empty person who was ready for something. And then he apologized. He said, I'm sorry for taking up your time. I'm sorry, for, I'm sorry for bothering you like this. I said, you're not bothering me. You're why we're here. And don't any of us ever forget it. And if you're here and you're unsure about God or you're struggling with doubt... Serious doubt, or you're skeptical about how faith works in the real world, or if Jesus even existed. You need to know God cares about you, and we're glad you're here, and God's up to something in your life. I hope you'll stick around. And for the rest of you, if you're walking with Jesus, man, it's time for you to hop a fence. It's time for you to. Ski a black diamond because God's calling you to take a dare with your faith. Specifically, he's challenging you to do a couple things that every single one of us can do. Let me share a couple things that, that, that I think I see. Every single person. There's no prerequisite. There's no like, well, I've only been a Christian for, you know, you know three days or 30 years. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a believer in Jesus, here's what you can do. Every one of us. You can invite someone with just kind of a come and see 
message. Look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is just starting to call his disciples. I mean, they hardly know everything. They've seen some of the things he's done. But you go to John chapter 1, verse 35, and what happens there is it says this. It says, the following day, John was again standing with two of the disciples. John's a believer. John is bought in. He's like, this is the, this is the Lamb of God. As Jesus walked by... John looked at him, and then he said it out loud to the people around him. He said, look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard it, guess what? They followed Jesus. John was a follower, but he didn't hold it, hide it, hug it, or hoard it. He shared it. He said, look, he pointed other people to Jesus. I wonder if you're doing that. Sometimes it just takes someone to say Jesus is what you might be looking for. And so they started following too. Look at the next verse, verse 38. Jesus looked around and he saw them following him. And he's like, <clears throat> you know, Jesus is just so comforting. You know, he's not like, oh, welcome aboard. Here's a mug. No, Jesus is like, what do you want? What are you doing? What's this about? Look at that, verse 38. Jesus looked at them and said, what do you want? He asked them. They don't even know how to answer the question. They replied, Rabbi, uh, where are you staying? That's not a good answer. It's like, it doesn't even make sense. What do you want? They, they didn't know, but they knew they wanted to hang out with Jesus a little more. What does Jesus say? Verse 39, he says, come and see. And starts walking, and they follow him. And it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They went with him, and they went to where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Apparently, if all you know is, I just want to hang out with Jesus, that's enough. And that come and see is a pretty good approach. Just come and see. Sometimes the best thing you can say to someone about Jesus, you don't have to get all preachy. You don't have to know the Bible backward and forward. You don't have to solve all their problems. You don't have to answer any of their questions. You don't have to convince them of anything or close some deal. All you've got to be willing to do is say, come and see. Invite someone. Come and see. That's it. That's a low fence, y'all. And that's contagious and infection. Look what happens. Verse 40 and 41. Andrew is hanging around. This is Simon Peter's brother. And he, he overhears this whole thing and, 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 and then followed Jesus. And so now Andrew is following as a result. What happens next? Verse 41, Andrew went to find his brother, Simon. This is Peter. And he told him, I think we found the Messiah. Messiah, which means Christ, is basically a shorthand way of saying the one we're all looking for. I think I found what we're all looking for. He wasn't content to have found Jesus. He goes and finds his brother too. So I wonder who you have a relationship with, believers. That God's sending you to find. To say more than come and see, but, you know, or to say come and see about Jesus. Had a buddy who says, you know, he emailed me. I don't even know where he lives. I says, a person in your church sent me this link. To a sermon, and I listened to it. I thought it was all right. I, I listened to a whole bunch of them. That's all he said. Someone was trying to go find someone and say, "Come and see." I guess we'll see where that goes. Andrew did more than just find his brother. Look what else he did. Verse forty-two. It says, "Then Andrew brought." Simon to meet Jesus and looking intently so now here's Simon right there with Jesus and he has his own encounter with Jesus and Jesus says to him I'm going to change your name instead of Simon son of John you're going to be called Cephas which means Peter and he goes on to become this rock solid faith the leader of the early church the preacher of the first Christian sermon why because Andrew told him 
and brought him and invited him. All began with his brother. I think it's time for some of us to hop the fence and invite someone to check, check it out. That's all you have to do. Just check it out. Invite him to your small group. Say, just check it out. I was in, visiting a small group this week. Here comes this guy named Brian. He's walking in. I say, oh, hi, Brian. You know, welcome. Uh, uh, you know, I was, I was visiting the group. I'm not even in the group. And, and, and I'm like, how long have you been in the group? He goes, tonight's my first night. Someone apparently had invited them. You can invite someone to training camp. It's February 1 coming up. It's just a leadership training thing. You can invite them to a girls' night out. You can invite them to the weekend service. You could invite them to second Saturday serve. Think of all the things that we're hesitant about and scared to do until someone makes a recommendation. Someone said, Ben, you've got to go see 1917, that movie. You've got to go see it. It's cinematography and the writing and the acting. It's amazing. You've got to go see it. You know what? I wouldn't even think about that movie before, but now I'm like, hmm, maybe I will. But I wasn't thinking about it before. And that's the way we do a lot of things, isn't it? Restaurants, rides at the park. A good book you might read or try a recipe or a vacation spot. We do it at the urging of our friends and our family and people that put a thought in our head where they just say, come and see, check it out. And so many people are living their life without the presence of God in their life and the peace of God in their heart. They don't know about the joy that can be ours in this life and the hope for eternal life. They think this is all there is. And church is the last place they'd look, think to look because of the impression they have about Christianity and the idiots and the news and the boring and the dumb and the irrelevant. And isn't it time that maybe you took a risk to tell someone, just come and see change the trajectory for eternity. We'll do it together. We'll hop the fence together. Come on in. The water's fine. We'll help each other. We'll be here together to make it a place where we'll all be glad that we did. Invite someone. Come and see. Everyone can do it. I dare you. You won't do it. I grew a mustache and wearing a jean jacket for crying out loud. You can, you can do this. Here's something else everyone can do. Tell your story. Tell your story and say, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Remember last week, I talked about that man who had that awful life because he got infested with demons. He had that horrible life. He was out of control. No one could help him. And then Jesus comes and touches him and heals him and sets him free. And he's got a whole new, he's a whole new outlook on life. And he says to Jesus, I want to walk with you. I'm going to go with you. I want to stay with you and your friends. And you know what Jesus says to him? Sounds kind of cruel, but he sticks with the mission. Verse, Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus says, no. Here's what I want you to do. I've just healed you and set you free. Now go home to your family and friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. God had done something in his life. Go and tell that. God has done something in your life, my friend. Tell it. That's all. You don't have to make something up. You don't have to know. You even understand what's going on. Just tell what has happened. If you've got a change in your life, if you look at things differently, if your eyes have been opened in any way, tell your story. Don't hide it. Don't hang out with Christian people all the time only. Let someone else hear it. Go home to your family, to your friends, to your connection, your coworkers. You don't have to go to a stadium and preach to a busload of people or anything like that. Just the people you already know. This is what's happened to me. This is how I'm different. 
tell your story. By the way, if you sign up for Rooted, this is one of the things we do together, is we kind of help each other tell our story, get a little better at just kind of, well, what is my story? Some of us think, I don't even have a story. Oh, yes, you do. And we need to learn how to tell it together. This is, this is the meaning of that phrase in Acts 1.8, when God, by his Holy Spirit says to us, you will be my witnesses. A witness isn't someone who's a prosecuting attorney. He's not the jury. He's not the judge. You don't have to be any of those things when it comes to people who don't know God. You just have to be a witness. Just like, get on the stand and say, here's what I know. Here's what I saw. You know, we had a bunch of friends get together recently. You saw a video of them last week. And they talked about some of this stuff too. And I want you to hear what they had to say about inviting and telling your story. So check it out. The inviting things is, is huge. I think people that, are, wherever you are in your faith, someone inviting you, drawing you in, saying, come with me, or helping you um, get through the door of faith or closer to God is, I think we underestimate how important that is sometimes. I was invited at Mountain uh, by a friend. The first invitation that I got uh, to come to Mountain was at the uh, Joppa Road location. Then immediately after that, then uh, the opening of this new location here in Abingdon. Um, and that's how I got hooked. I mean, it's just the love, the welcoming. I think home, you know, a sense of being home. And that's what it, Mountain is all about. Well, you know, the welcoming, bring you, just come as you are. So um, my husband and I, we weren't connected to any kind of church. Um, and we were going through some marital problems. And one of our neighbors, they actually go to the Edgewood campus still. So I called the wife crying and, and she said, hey, why don't you go to try this church? And uh, ever since then, it, it felt like home. And it just felt welcome. It was, it was the right place. It just really spoke to us um, in that place where we were. That's one topic that I have a passion about because I was invited and I was able to invite others. A lot of people freak out. They get they get afraid when they think about inviting somebody. You don't seem like you have that. Why, what's, I wow. mean, it, it flows. I mean, I share. How, <laughs> how do you do it? How do you do it? I, I, what's, I your what's your secret, Brad? <laughs> we start having like, just a regular conversation and I told my friend, hey, with your birthday, I'm taking you to dinner and then, ah, by the way, why don't you join me next week? Way to slide it in there. Yeah, Happy birthday. Come to church with me. So he came in last Sunday from Frederick. It's like contagious. It's not you guys. It's like everything, right? It's everybody. I'm preaching um, at Echo and Collide, but I, I think that God is looking at me not to just only stay within the church because that's all I've really known, but start stretching out towards people in my schools and stretch out towards people in my community. I have um, definitely tried to invite people and one thing that One Leaders always told me is that you're not always going to get yeses, you're going to get noes and that was hard for me to understand at first but I'm starting to understand that like it plants that seed like Ben says all the time. If you plant that seed you're doing something. You don't have to make that seed grow but I think I'm, I'm starting something like it's giving me curiosity into someone and I think that helps me be able to reach out to other people. I experienced a welcoming here, a, a sense of being home. I wasn't 
put a list of prerequisites to join a church. They told me, just come in as you are. And that's what I try to share with my friends. You know, even my restaurant waiter said, hey, why don't you come and join me in church after we have dinner? Friends, uh, co-workers, why don't you just come over and join me in church? So that's what I'm sharing. I'm sharing what I experienced. I experienced love, and I wanted to just share that with others. All right, so, you know, I, I want to just be helpful as we, uh, I want to leave you with um, something super practical, okay? I want to leave you with a short scripture and then, and then um, something you can do that we all can all do, real practical. The scripture is out of Colossians chapter 4. Just look at this. This is Paul saying, um, as he's getting ready to do some of his mission, Mar Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, he says, And pray for us that God may open a door for our message. We're going to be praying for each other, that God will open a door. When you pray that God will open a door, guess what you start looking for? Open doors. We start looking for open doors so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. You don't have to have it all figured out. It's a mystery. You don't even have to understand it all, but you know it's real. For which I am in chains. He's sitting in there in jail. He says, I'm, it's real enough that I'm, I'm willing to suffer for it. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And the next verses say, Be wise, though, in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Are you ready to make the most of every opportunity if God opens a door? Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's what I want to give you. Practical tool that will change your life. You'll feel differently. You'll look at people differently. Simple little thing, and I dare you to do it, and we can do it together. Here it is. Ready? Pray for one. Pray for one. Pray for one. Do, starting today, do it this week, uh, and I'm going to dare some of you to do it over between now and Easter. That's about 12 weeks. Pray for one. Jesus says, God leaves the 99 and goes after the one. We're going to pray for the one. You pray for your one. Ask, here's, here's what it means. Ask God to give you one person to share his love with. Okay? Ask him to place someone, anyone, in your path, open a door to invite them to come and see or to tell your story or have a conversation or be kind to in a way that will lead this relationship forward to build a bridge of friendship, show some care, share the gospel with. As, you, as often as you pray, here's the dare, pray for one. Just pray for one. I love how my friend Bo talks about this. He says, when you, when you allow your primary prayers to, to, instead just of being for self, to start praying for others like this, like pray for one, then you're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness instead of your own protection, your own promotion, your own provision. And you start to plead for one. And your outlook is going to change, I promise. Instead of viewing people that come across your path as a nuisance or a time sucker or someone, who's trying to, someone that you can try to you know, manipulate for your own ends or get away from, you see them as sheep waiting to be found. Because you never know who might be your one. 
You begin to look at everything. Your heart starts to change. You, you find that you're not as busy to, to talk to your neighbor or maybe to stay late with that coworker or give that person a ride because you never know who your one will be. People that you otherwise ignore, you might just want to engage in conversation and you might find yourself leaning into a conversation or listening more because you can invite or tell your story. You never know. You want to be ready to step in with gentleness and your day will have mission and purpose to it. Because the first words off your lips in the morning can be, God, just give me my one today. Show me who you want me to share your love with. Could be a family member, a neighbor. I don't know who it's going to be, but eventually don't give up on it. Just have them bring that name to your mind. I I have a friend whose kids were starting a new school year. And uh, Ace was his son. That's a cool name, isn't it? He's in second grade, eight years old. And his daughter was um, Ensley. And she was starting half-day kindergarten. And she would go in the afternoons. And the plan was that they'd get up and they uh, get Ace, you know, on the bus in the morning. And he'd go. And then Ensley would be driven to school and dropped off for the afternoon kindergarten. And then she would ride the bus home with big brother Ace. That was the plan. So my friend and his wife were nervous about all this, right? So they appealed to their son Ace. They said, you know, listen, you know, they laid it on pretty thick. You're responsible for your sister. We, we want you to make sure that she gets on the bus. She can get lost. She can get on the wrong bus. Make sure she's safe and no one beats up on her. And you've you got you know, you to get her off the bus at the right stop. We don't want anyone to take her or, you know, by a stranger or something like that. So 8-year-old Ace, he's like taking this in. He's like, yeah, he stepped up on this. And he he's, seems to understand they walked through the route and they went to the place where the bus would be and all of that. And he was ready for his challenge. And on the first day, he said it was very heartwarming, you know, to see their kids. They went to the bus stop, and they're watching, and here's Ace and Ensley, and he can see through the windows of the bus. He's helping her gather all her things. He had gotten her on the bus, and he's helping her put his arm on his little baby sister's shoulder, helping her down the stairs, and there they come walking to the car side by side, hand in hand. They get in. He's like, I got her, and bringing her in, and they talked about their day. And it went like that for, for weeks, actually. That was the routine. One day, though, Ace went to school early in the morning, but my friend's wife woke up, and, and, and then my buddy, he, he went off to work. And my wife, his wife woke up with a stomach bug, and she was unable to take Ensley to school in the afternoon. And he was stuck in a meeting, so they just decided they were going to keep Ensley home from school that day. Well, after school... Um, the husband was able to get away from his job, so he went over to the bus stop to pick up Ace. And when the bus stopped, Ace immediately jumped up and ran out the bus and came running toward the car with a very serious look on his face. He threw the door open. He said, Dad, Ensley's not on the bus. I don't know where she is. I don't know who. I can't find her. I don't know if someone took her. I don't know what's going on. He started, his lips are quivering. He's as white as a sheet, and he's shaking all over. And Dad immediately reached a hand out toward him and said, Oh, oh, Ace, I'm so sorry. I didn't tell you. She's safe. She's home. She's waiting for you at home. She didn't even go to school today. She's waiting for you at home. And he burst into tears. He climbed in the car and he says, Dad, you should have told me. He said, I should have. I'm really sorry. He promised he would never do it again. He got to thinking how gut-wrenching it must have been for Ace for that 20-minute ride home. He's looking around. He doesn't know where his sister is. Didn't know what she was doing. So he did the only thing he knew to do. He ran to his dad and told her about the one that was lost. Friends, you and I have so many friends, people, family, friends who are not on the bus yet. 
They're not safe at home with Jesus. And whether they know it or not, the Bible would say they're lost. If they're not with God, they're lost. And he's called us to help him. And it might feel a little scary to share the news, invite, or jump over the fence. But he promises us he'll do it with us, and the water's fine. So let's start right now. I dare every one of you, as you pray, as often as you pray, pray for one. Every day this week, if you will. All right? Anybody in? Pray for one. Let's pray now. God, your word says that um, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and we thank you for that promise. And we also know, Lord, that how, how, can, how can someone call on someone they haven't believed in and how they're going to believe in someone they haven't heard about or how they're going to hear about if no one invites or speaks to them. So I pray for my friends here, your mountain family, that we would be the body of Christ, that we would look like Jesus, and that we would do everything we can to hop the fence and jump in to reach out for our one. God, show us one person to share your love with. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, friends.